been in our study of 1 Timothy, and I'd invite you to take your Bibles to turn to chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 11 to 16. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the chairs underneath or in the balcony that you could take and use and follow along with us. 1 Timothy 4, I'll be reading verses 11 to 16. Paul writes, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Shall we pray again? Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture that really gets to the heart of what ministry is all about. And I pray that as we look at this this morning, you would show us what it is that you intend for our church and for those who serve here as ministers in our congregation. But also, Lord, help us to see how these things apply to us, that all of us need to watch our life and our doctrine closely. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to be talking about the role of a pastor. And it's not too surprising, or it shouldn't be too surprising, that in this book that deals with the subject of how we are to conduct ourselves in the church, that there would also be a message in here for the pastor. If you think back about our study so far, in chapter 2 we talked about worship and prayer and the role of men and women in the church. Uh, In chapter 3 we talked about the role of elders and deacons and deaconesses and church leadership. And in chapters 5 and 6 we're actually going to talk about things to relate to the congregation in terms of caregiving, caring for one another, uh, our ministries of service and using our gifts to honor the Lord, and stewardship. But in between is this chapter, chapter 4, that talks about the role of a pastor. And it is really uh, spiritual advice that comes from Paul, who was a spiritual father to Timothy, giving him instructions on how he was to conduct his ministry in the city of Ephesus. And that's, uh, that's a very significant thing. And that doesn't mean that today you can kind of sit back and go, shoo, you know, this one isn't for me. Maybe I can just kind of take some notes here on someone else. But no, it's good for all of us to know what's expected of those who serve in ministry. And there may be some in our congregation today who are seriously thinking about that. God's been working in your heart. And you have wondered about uh, answering that call that you feel on your life to go into ministry in a full-time way. Whether that's with adults or youth or missions or wherever it may be, you are wondering about that. And here's a word for you as well. I want to talk very personally about ministry today. Talk about some of the challenges and the joys that are a part of that. And I'll be speaking for myself, but also for Pastors Ron and Pastor Dan and Pastor Aaron, who are here also, and some of the challenges that they face as well, because they are similar. When we look at the Scriptures and we think about the role of ministry today, I want to just put some things up front and tell you that ministry is a challenge for many reasons. This is just a few of them. One of the challenges of ministry is the nature of the work. 
We deal with life and death issues, and not just physically, but eternally. We're involved in families' lives when it comes to the birth of a child or the dedication of a baby. We're there at their weddings, their marriage. We do the counseling that prepares them for that. And we are there at the end of life when there's a parent who dies or a child who has passed away or a spouse who has died. And we enter into people's suffering and needs at those moments. We're there all along the way. There are times when we meet with people for counseling who are discouraged or dealing with depression. We're there to help lift one another up and to encourage those individuals. We're there when someone goes into the hospital or when there is a crisis in a family or a financial need or there's a struggle in a marriage where maybe they're not going to make it. And we come alongside of people and we enter into their needs and their life situations and it is an emotional work as well. Because it's not something that you can do kind of indifferent. You enter into people's feelings and you empathize with them. And you are help, there to help to carry the load. And that is a challenge along the way. How do you bear those things? And it's not just talking about day-to-day issues, but realizing that the things we do today will count for all of eternity. We are also involved in a spiritual battle. And as leaders in the church, we are targets of the evil one. You know the scripture in 1 Peter 5.8 says that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And we are to resist him, standing firm in the faith, That is true for all of us as believers, but it is especially true for those who serve in leadership in the church. We are targets of the enemy because he knows how devastating it can be when a leader falls. We have an open-ended job. The work is never done. There's always another call you could make, another visit you could do, another book you could read, or an article you could look at, or a, a situation that you could... Um, deal with. There, there's always more to do than we can do in a day. We work uh, many hours in the week, including our weekends. We are there on call when people have needs or emergencies. I think about it in my own particular work in terms of doing a sermon. I've talked to other pastors who preach as well and ask the question, you know, when is a sermon over? I mean, when are you done preparing that sermon? It's not over till it's given. And then you pick it up and you're working on the next one right away. And you find yourself thinking about these things all through the week. And yet I've never done anything in my life where I have sensed so much that God wants to speak to his people. And he brings an illustration. He brings an example. He brings an idea. And it comes together each week. And God is in this. And I trust him in that. But it is a very interesting work, and you find yourself always thinking about these things. Fourth, we daily carry the weight of ministry. And what I mean by that is I refer to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11. You see, Paul in that passage described all of the things that he had to deal with in his ministry. For him, it included tremendous suffering. The shipwrecks, the beatings, the times when he was in danger from countrymen, dangers from bandits, dangers from wild animals in his travel, in a time when it was not as easy to get around. But on top of everything that he listed in that chapter in terms of his suffering, he said at the end of it, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. 
For who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? And the way he put that in the Greek was that that was being emphasized as the greatest burden of all. All of these other things were part of the trials that he went through, but the thing that was the heaviest load that he carried every day was his concern for all of the churches. And those who are pastors, those who are in ministry, know what I mean by that, the weight of ministry. And sometimes you aren't even aware of it until you're out of the saddle for a while. And you take a vacation. And if it's a longer vacation where you have been able to set those things aside and someone else carries them for a time, you realize the weight that is there every single day. Uh, it's not um, something that you can, you know, kind of uh, quantify or identify in that way, but it is something that you feel because you are concerned for the church and you are concerned for the individuals in the church and you know their situations and what's going on in their lives. And you wish that you could fix them and fix them all and do that, but you can't. Is that me? Am I getting a little... I'm not sure where that's from. Okay. We'll see if that's any better. And then, uh, fifthly, we all have expectations of what a pastor should be like. And I do, too. <laughs> and each of us are, have expectations that are shaped by examples of other pastors or those we know in ministry or what we think a pastor should or should not do. And frankly, it is impossible to meet them all. We just can't do it. And that's true for all of us who are on staff here. We do the best that we can to fulfill our calling that God has given to us. But it is a challenge to try and meet all the expectations that may be out there. Listen to this advertisement for a pastor as an example. It's from the book Lifestyle Evangelism by Joe Aldrich. It says, Wanted, a minister for a growing church. It's a real challenge for the right man. Opportunity to become better acquainted with people. The applicant must offer experiences as a shop worker, office manager, educator, at all levels from preschool to college. An artist, salesman, diplomat, writer, theologian, politician, Boy Scout leader, children's worker, minor league athlete, psychologist, vocational counselor, psychiatrist, funeral director, wedding consultant, master of ceremonies, circus clown, missionary, social worker. How's that for a variety of things? Must know all about the problems of birth, marriage, and death. Also conversant with the latest theories and practices in areas like pediatrics, economics, and nuclear science. The right man will hold firm views on every topic, but is careful not to upset people who disagree. Must be forthright but flexible. Returns criticism and backbiting with Christian love and forgiveness. Should have outgoing friendly disposition at all times. Should be captivating speaker and intent listener will pretend he enjoys hearing women talk. I, <laughs> I didn't write this. I'm just reading it. <laughs> Obviously, there's a story in there somewhere. It must be by, by this guy. <laughs> Education must be beyond Ph.D. requirements, but always concealed in homespun modesty and folksy talk. Able to sound learned at times, but most of the time talks and acts like a good old Joe. Familiar with literature read by average congregation. 
must be willing to work long hours, subject to call at any time, day or night, adaptable to sudden interruption. We'll spend at least 25 hours preparing sermon, additional 10 hours reading books and magazines, plus have time for administration, visitation, returning emails and phone calls, evangelism, and board and committee meetings. Applicant's wife must be both stunning and plain. <laughs> Smartly attired but conservative in appearance. Gracious and able to get along with everyone. Must be willing to work in church kitchen, teach Sunday school, babysit, run copy machine, wait tables, never listen to gossip, never become discouraged. Applicants' children must be exemplary in conduct and character. Well-behaved, yet basically no different from other children. <laughs> Decently dressed. Okay. Yeah. And then if you have a parsonage in the church, it says, Opportunity for applicant to live close to work. Furnished home provided, open-door hospitality enforced. Must be ever mindful the house does not belong to him. Directly responsible for views and conduct to all church members and visitors not confined to direction or support from any one person. Salary not commensurate with experience or need. <laughs> no overtime pay. All replies kept confidential. Anyone applying will undergo full investigation to determine sanity. <laughs> End of quote. <laughs> All right. When you hear something like that, and of course it's a pretty tongue-in-cheek as he goes through that, you wonder why would anyone do this? I mean, this has got to be one of the toughest jobs that there is to do. And yet we do it because of God's call on our life. In Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, the scripture says that it was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. God never intended that the pastor should do it all, but that each one in the body should have a part of the ministry in building up the whole church. And pastors are called to be equippers of the saints who train you to do the work of ministry using your gifts so that together we carry the load and do the work that He has called us to in the church. And it is a great work. And it is a privilege and a joy to serve the King of Kings in His church. We get to enter into the lives of people at very significant times. Times when people are teachable. Times when there are those life-changing moments. And we come alongside of people. And we encourage and we point them to Christ. And I can tell you there's no greater joy than seeing someone come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and be born again or to see people growing in their walk with God and know that you've had a small part in helping them to do that. So what does God expect of those that He calls into ministry? Well, here are three things that I want to point out from this text. He tells us that a minister should lead by example, and we see that in verses 11 and 12. Paul said to Timothy, Command and teach these things, but don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. You see, Timothy was around 30 to 35 years old when Paul wrote this letter. That's young in a culture that honors its elders. And Timothy was asked to lead a growing church in a large city. Ephesus was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at that time. 
And the church that he was leading was dealing with some struggles. In particular, there were false teachers and false teaching was going on in the church. And there were some members and some leaders, perhaps even some elders who had gotten swept up in this. And Timothy, as a young man, was going to have to confront and correct some members of that church who were older than he was. And how do you do that graciously and tactfully? How do you do that in a way that deals with it directly? How do you as a young man command and teach these things? It would be difficult for Timothy because of his nature and personality. He was not confronted. And yet God had put him in that situation. And Paul says that the way that you do this, Timothy, the way that you don't let someone look down on you because of your youth is to set an example in all of these things in speech, in life, in faith, in purity. Take a look at that, that list of the things that he has called them to. In speech, it means don't be a gossip, a slanderer, or one who exaggerates. Be a person who speaks the truth in love and who encourages and builds others up. In life, consider what you do and be an example in your conduct, in your values, your lifestyle, your morals, and your habits. Think of what Paul said when he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's what we are to do as pastors. In love, we are to be an example in terms of showing kindness and mercy and compassion and generosity. We are to love God and to love people. And that's true of all of us. In faith, we are to be an example of trust or obedience and knowledge of the Scriptures so that people see how the Word of God applies to every situation in life. In purity, we are to be honest and holy and pure in thought and in our motives. We are to be men of character and integrity that others can look to as an example. Paul didn't say to Timothy, tell them that you're the pastor and this is the way it is. He didn't say, be dictatorial and say, this is what we're going to do whether you like it or not. No, he said, Timothy, let them see your life and win their respect and command and teach these things. You see, sometimes when we are young, when we go into ministry, and I can identify with this, I was 30 years old when I came here to the church. I don't know if we need to switch this out, but it's uh, difficult. We'll try this again and see if that makes any difference. Okay. Sometimes when we are young, we think we have all the answers. And we wonder why nobody else has seen this before, why no one will listen to me or do it my way, and we come in and we may have very strong opinions about how things should be done. But we're not always right. Even Billy Graham was recently interviewed on the, in the local paper, and he was asked the question if he had any regrets as he looked back on his life. And he made a comment that when I was young, I thought I had all the answers. And I said some things that were insensitive that I regret. He didn't have the experience to understand how those things that he said would be taken by others, and sometimes he came across as a little too black and white in what he was saying. There's a word of caution there. There's a word that says we need to learn from those who have gone before us. And I know as a young pastor coming here, I appreciated so much our district superintendent at that time, LaRue Thorwall, Pastor Greg Sharp, who had been a mentor to me, and I can think of others who were examples, 
who really were godly, gracious Christian leaders. Men of conviction, but also men of humility and good people skills. And they knew how to work with people in the church in a way that was just an example for me. And I would say to you that if you are a young Christian, or if you are thinking about ministry, or you find yourself in ministry here in a church, working on a board or committee, learn from the example of those who are older in the faith. Follow their lead. Watch what they do. And learn from their wisdom and the ability that they have to relate to other people. And put that into practice in your own life. Paul went on to say, secondly, that a minister must be one who teaches the Scriptures. That is at the heart of everything that we do. And you see that in verses 13 and 14. He said, Until I come, I want you to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching, and don't neglect the gift that you have been given. You can think also of the example in John 21 when Jesus recommissioned Peter after his denial. Three times Peter had denied even knowing Christ during his trial. Jesus was being questioned and beaten. And now Jesus came to Peter and three times he asked him to reaffirm his love. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, if you love me, then do these things. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. How does a shepherd feed the sheep? Well, the way that he does that is he gives them the Word of God. You see, there's no power in what I say or in my opinions or thoughts, but there is power in the Word of God. And God has chosen to use this means of preaching to build up His church. And sometimes that's a remarkable thing. I mean, people even debate there's got to be more effective ways to do this. Sometimes there are challenges and difficulties in communicating. And there... There's got to be a more efficient way to do this. And yet God even sent His own Son and made Him a preacher, a communicator of the truth of God's Word. And there is power in that when we stick to the Scripture. The apostles understood that. That's why in Acts chapter 6, when this question came up about care of widows and who should wait on tables and serve them, It was a work that needed to be done, but they delegated that to deacons in the church who would care for that responsibility because they said, we will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the Word. That's our priority. That's what God has called us to. But sadly, not everyone in ministry understands that. Recently, I was having a conversation with some other pastors, and this surprised me, and it will surprise you as well. But we were talking about a message that we had heard recently, and I was a part of those as we were talking about this. We were kind of critiquing and saying, did that hit the mark or did that miss the mark? And I got to say, that's what I do. I, you know, when I hear someone speak in a message, I can't help but critique it in a way and listen to the Scripture. Is it true? Does it fit? Does it resonate in our heart? It's the same way that somebody who's a musician will hear a song that's played and they'll, they'll pick up if that's on key or not. Is that the right note or not? Or an artist will see the stroke of a brush or a calligrapher will note the way that the letters are formed. Whatever your occupation is, you notice things. I know builders will go into a house or a church and they'll notice the way things were framed or the craftsmen and detail and things like that. 
I do that with messages, with sermons. And we were talking about this as pastors, and I thought that they would enjoy kind of doing this. And as we were getting in, I shared from the Scripture why I thought that this particular message was missing the mark. And it was interesting, the other two pastors commented to me, and they said, well, you know, Rick, I think the reason that you see that is because you have been trained to preach from the Scriptures. You see, in our seminary, we're trained more in our messages to share a story and a moral point, but not to use the Scriptures. What we do here is not done in every church where we take the Scriptures and what my intent to do is to explain it and illustrate it and apply it to life. It's why we work through books of the Bibles. It's why when I ask you, you know, at the beginning of the message to take your Bible and open it up to this text, I want you to bring your Bibles. And I want you to follow along with me. And the reason we put Scripture up on the PowerPoint is because this is the Scripture that you need to hear. And I don't want this to be a Bible drill where you're trying to find your, your text here back and forth because some people can do that very easily and other people struggle and would get lost. And I don't want you to miss what we're talking about here. But we have a Word-based ministry, and that's the way I believe it should be. Paul is saying to Timothy here, read the Scriptures publicly. And that was especially important because they did not have their Bibles. They didn't have the Scripture in a personal copy form that they could take. And so the Scripture needed to be read. He also said, I want you to preach. That means to exhort, to uh, encourage people to apply the Word of God to their life. And then teaching has to do with instruction and showing them how to do that. And that's what we do here. We explain it, we illustrate it, and we apply it to life and our personal situations. How much time does it take to prepare a message? Well, starting out in ministry, it may take one hour of study for every minute in the pulpit. A 20-minute message could take 20 hours to put together. A 30-minute message could take 30 hours. I know some pastors who, if they were preaching on something that was doctrinal, you know, they would tell, I had to read this whole book on theology just to be able to put together this one message for Sunday. And they will spend hours doing that, studying, digging in. As that base of knowledge grows, it takes far less time to put together a message. But it is still a work. Last week, we had a thousand people here. And I look at that, a half-hour message, that's 500 hours of time, of your time. And it is something that requires that I do that well to honor the time that you are committing to be here. Paul said, don't neglect your gift. He doesn't identify what Timothy's gift was, but it may have been the gift of preaching and teaching. And he's saying, use that for God's glory. And every one of us, you have been given spiritual gifts. You have been given abilities from God to use in His kingdom to serve, whether that is teaching or leading or helping or encouraging or giving or uh, coming alongside of people in times of need and showing mercy. He wants us all to use those gifts for His honor and glory. Right now in our ABFs, we're teaching some material that has to do with how we are shaped for ministry, and He wants you to use that. We also will be having a ministry fair. All right. All right, is this one on? Testing? Okay, there we go. All right. 
There must be something in this message today that (laughs) Satan doesn't want to get out or uh, we're just struggling today. But anyway, um, in our ABFs right now, we're teaching on spiritual gifts. And two weeks from today, Pastor Ron announced that we are going to have a ministry fair here where all of our ministries are going to have booths and display what they do. And we want you to visit those booths and to take a look at what they are doing and see if this is an area where you perhaps could serve. Because there are many different ministry opportunities to come alongside of people from care of the facility and buildings and ground to caregiving for people and their needs to teaching, working with children or youth or adults in our church. All right, the third area. Scripture requires us to work hard at our ministry to be diligent and to be faithful. Again, that is true for all of us. But he tells us in verses 15 and 16, Timothy, be diligent in these matters and give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely and persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Ministry is not a place for those who are lazy. It is not a a 40-hour-a-week job. It is a calling. It's a vocation. And we gladly serve. And there are many things that we are asked to give up along the way, things that you give up for the sake of something that you value that much more. In a sense, we often find ourselves out of step with the rest of the world because we work weekends when many people have that off. But those of you who work weekends and work nights can relate to that. We need to do a lot of things in the evening because that's when other people are free and able to meet. And so our schedule is different from what other people uh, may experience in their own personal life. And that's something that those who go into ministry need to understand and count the cost. That you will be working at times when other people may be taking time off. At the same time, as we may put in many hours and work in those kind of time slots, we also need to take time for our marriage and family and our own personal health. And it's tough at times to balance that. But I could not do what I do without my wife's understanding and support. And anyone who's married in his ministry and in ministry would say the same thing. Really, this calling has to be joint. A pastor's wife also needs to feel called to the ministry and the work that's going on there because she will have to make sacrifices along the way for the sake of the church. It's not easy being a pastor's wife. Uh, There are times when she carries the weight of ministry as well and she has no authority. And the most important thing that she can do and sometimes the only thing that she can do is pray or sometimes exhort the pastor and uh, to encourage him to do things that maybe he should be doing as well. And things fall on her. She has to pick up the slack at home, or there are things that she needs to do with the family. I understand, and I appreciate so much what Gail has done as a compliment in my ministry and the way that she has worked with our kids. And I would also say to you as a congregation, I think the fact that both of our older sons, Matt and Jason, are interested in ministry and missions is a credit to you, that you have not placed unrealistic expectations on our sons. But you've given them the freedom to be who they are, and you have encouraged them, and you have supported them and prayed for us as a family along the way. And I think Pastor Ron and Pastor Dan, Pastor Aaron would all affirm 
that we have felt your support in those family situations. Jason now is halfway through his time at Trinity at our seminary in Chicago. Matt, our oldest son, has now applied to start and work on his MDiv at Trinity in the fall. And I couldn't be happier for them and what they are choosing to do and praying that God will lead them in their future path. Paul exhorted Timothy to give himself wholly to these matters, to throw himself into the work because it is a great work. And do it so that others may see your progress. Keep growing in your faith in Christ. You know, I want you to know that I love what I do about 99% of the time. (laughs) And that's pretty good. That's pretty good to work at something that you really love. And yeah, there are times when all of us may struggle or may have a hard day or a difficult situation that we have to deal with. But I love to teach I love the fact that I get to study the Scriptures. I love our staff team and the leaders in our church and the privilege it is to work with each of them. I love working with people, with you, and the variety of things that we do here. The other night I was at the missions prayer time. I want to tell you that is a great joy. You need to come to one of the mission prayer times. As we travel the world in prayer and we hear what God is doing through those that we have supported and sent out, you will be blessed. Two and a half hours and the time goes by like that when you hear the reports of what God is doing. Do you know that one in, the, in one of the creative access countries that we are working in, where we have adopted a hidden people, and we are praying for the birth of a church planting movement, on Easter Sunday there were 40 believers who gathered in a village, and there were eight baptisms that took place. That is a tremendous praise of what God is doing to give birth to a church. And we are having a part of that in another part of the world. There are translation projects going on that we are having a part of because you have supported the work, and I want you to know about that and pray for them. And I think of Carrie, who has just gone out, or, or will be leaving this Thursday, you know, going out to do this work among a people who do not have the Scriptures in their own language. And she is committing her life to help bring the Word of God to them. We need to pray for and encourage her. And we need to celebrate those things that God is doing. I want to tell you that's a matter of great joy for me as a pastor, for those of us who are involved in knowing what's going on there. God has blessed far beyond what I thought He would do in our church. When God called us here, I thought a church of 400 to 450 would be a big church in this community. And I didn't know if I could pastor a church that large. Last week, as I said, we had about a 1,000 people here in the three services. To God be the glory for that and for what He has done. This is a great work. It changes people's lives. And therefore, ministry demands the very best of us. We are to watch our life and our doctrine closely. And there it is again. It keeps coming up in this book for all of us as believers in Christ. We need to watch the way that we live and we need to watch what we believe and what we teach. Paul makes it very clear when he says, because your salvation and the salvation of your listeners depends upon it. If I don't give the warning, if I don't call people to put their faith in Jesus Christ, If I don't teach that Jesus is the only way to God, then I'm not being faithful to what the Scripture says. And I'm not being fair to you. 
But when I preach and teach and I call you to apply the Word of God in your life, I'm being faithful in my calling. And that's all that God asks of us as ministers, is to be diligent and to be faithful, to do what He has called us to do. So I would ask you as a congregation, would you pray for us as pastors and staff regularly? Each of us has a prayer team of people who have volunteered to pray for us more regularly. And we email them and we send out requests and we ask them to pray for specific things. And I appreciate that. That's a relatively new thing that we have organized. And I'm grateful for those who are on that team. And if you'd like to be on that team, let us know for all of our staff. And then secondly, would you continue to pray that God would raise up laborers from our church to join in the harvest? not just here, but literally around the world. When I came, I began to pray for 20 laborers who would go into full-time Christian work from our church. We've had 17, and we've got more on the way. And that's really a tremendous joy. Would you pray that God would continue to call young men and women and adults to serve Him full-time here and around the world? And if you're thinking about that and God's put that on your heart and you're considering ministry as a vocation, would you let us know so that we might pray for you and encourage you along the way? Let's pray. Father, my heart this morning as I share this message is to not call attention to us as pastors, but to give you honor and glory for what you have done and for the way that you have designed your church. The fact that you can take ordinary men with their flaws and their weaknesses and use us to do something that accomplishes your purposes is an amazing thing. And I thank you for the men and women who are part of our staff ministry and who serve here in the church full-time and part-time. And Father, we ask for your blessing, your grace, your protection. Give us the wisdom we need to do what we do. And may your church grow as a result. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.